Under review today, we have Super Bowl 55 live reaction and recap following the game. Brady's seventh ring. Pat Mahomes struggles. His Chiefs are not even close to the Bucks. So what happened? What does this mean going forward? Does this affect Pat Mahomes' GOAT conversation later on down the road? And then talking more about that word GOAT. Who is the GOAT of the GOATs? The best to ever play any sport. I have a scorching take on that later on on the show. Then MLB free agency news. Trevor Bauer finally signs after a long, drawn-out free agency process with a lot of trolling, but he finally is a Los Angeles Dodger. My thoughts on Bauer signing, what it means for the Dodgers and baseball, and what changes baseball can make to prevent teams like the Dodgers from forming a super team. Wrapping things up, gambling guarantees, gambling recap as well from last week, all of my picks, how I did, what I'm thinking going forward, So a lot of stuff to get to, a great week in sports, the last week of football that we will have for this year until September. So we got a lot to talk about, a lot to go over, and a great show coming up after further review. Today is Monday, February 8th, 2021, and this is episode 2 of After Further Review with Sam Phelan, and it is also the Monday following the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 55 was last night, and we have a lot of game action to unpack in an incredible domination from Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, so... 31-9, the final score. The Bucs obviously not favored coming in, which made it even more incredible. And I think the surprise of the night for everybody had to be the Tampa Bay defense. Now, we knew the Tampa Bay defense was good. We knew that their linebacker core was good. Their pass rush was solid. But... The Kansas City Chiefs offense is one of the staples and most consistent things in all of NFL football. You can do a lot of things to other teams on any given Sunday, but it would always kind of give in that you cannot slow down Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. You cannot hold them to simply nine points. You can only hope to contain them. I did pick the Bucs in this game. I picked the final score of 35-31 Bucs last week. So I got the game right, but... I talked about my previews and my predictions for the game, and I thought there was no chance we would see a blowout. I thought there was no chance one of these teams would come out and look as flat on offense as Kansas City did last night. Now, the elephant in the room of the game, which you have to talk about, everyone was talking about it on Twitter, everybody tweeted about it, was the officiating. And the calls, the calls downfield, the referee sucking up to Brady... All of this nonsense, and look, I understand some of the calls weren't great. I actually think they got most of them right. I mean, you can call it ticky-tack, sure. The one I had a problem with was the one on Mike Evans in the end zone to finish out the first half. It set up the Antonio Brown touchdown. But you can call the rest ticky-tack, but that's how they were calling the game. And even if that was how they were calling the game and it was consistent on both sides, I, I just don't care. I don't care. I don't care about the calls because... This game was not close in any aspect. The Chiefs might have hung around at the beginning, but 
they got outplayed start to finish, and it completely came down to the front seven. You talk about the amount of pass rush that the Buccaneers were able to get on Kansas City. I don't care what calls they were making because that game was over. That game was completely and utterly over. Patrick Mahomes in that game ran for 497 yards while scrambling. While scrambling away from Tampa Bay defenders, he ran for almost 500 yards. That's the most ever in the next-gen stats era. 38-5 to in quarterback pressures. Multiple dropped passes. And this guy, who is the best quarterback in football, and everyone would tell you that, had a passer rating of 64. So I do not care what calls were made to help Tom Brady and Tampa Bay get there because that game was won in the trenches. That game was won by the front seven of Tampa Bay, by the good push that the offensive line of Tampa Bay got being able to run the football well, giving Tom the amount of time he needed to find the right receivers. And yeah, you can, I mean, injuries played a part in it. Eric Fisher not playing, Michael Schwartz hurt, two of KC's best linemen. And yeah, that makes a difference, sure. But if you are sitting here today on Monday, on Tuesday, whatever it is, and you are thinking that this Super Bowl was determined because Tom Brady got lucky because the officials gave him the calls, you are stupid. You don't know what you're talking about, and you're talking out of either a place of ignorance or arrogance in the sense that you're only thought process comes from your hatred of Tom Brady and your root for him to your rooting interest for him to lose. That's what that comes from. Because objectively, when we look at the other aspects that contribute to a game, you know, how the defense is playing, how the rest of your receivers are playing, how the tendencies of football go, the Chiefs got outplayed in every aspect of football. So shout out to Bruce Arians, shout out to Tom Brady, shout out to Leonard Fournette and Mike Evans and Ronald Jones for making the plays necessary, and those are the guys that are waking up Super Bowl champions this morning. Deal with it. Now I could sit here and talk about Brady for quite possibly the entire show, and I will get to him, and I will talk about Tom and where he's ranking for me and how I'm feeling about him today, but... I want to take a moment to talk about Patrick Mahomes because I did see this talked by Stephen a, talked about by Stephen A. Smith earlier today, and the question was, is Patrick Mahomes' argument for being the greatest quarterback ever someday ruined by this? And I think the answer is yes. I don't see how the answer is not yes, because no matter what Patrick Mahomes will do for the rest of his career. Even if he goes and gets seven Super Bowls, eight Super Bowls, whatever it is, if he's right there with Tom in that aspect, he lost to him. And he didn't just like barely lose to him. He got killed. Tom Brady's never gotten killed in the Super Bowl. Tom Brady's lost some good, good, good football games. And he's lost three out of ten. So does Pat Mahomes go to ten Super Bowls? I don't know. Probably not. That's very rare. Does he win seven? Probably not. That's even more rare. But even if he did, he's not passing Tom. There's no way he's passing. Right now, through two Super Bowls, Rex Grossman, Rex Grossman has a higher passer rating career in Super Bowls than Patrick Mahomes. So now, 
I, so I don't care about the rest of it. You cannot be the greatest quarterback of all time. You cannot be everybody's godsend, chosen one, golden boy quarterback, claim to be the best ever, and have those kind of statistics in the big game. So that's where I'm at on that. The Pat Mahomes could be the best to ever live argument is dead to me. You might be able to put him in the most talented ever. That's right where I have Aaron Rodgers right now. But in terms of the best ever, unless he does 10 Super Bowl wins, something crazy and just completely shuts down NFL parody for the next decade, Patrick Mahomes is forever out of the conversation. Because you cannot be over the guy who is the best when you've lost to him already. You just can't. So let's talk about that guy. Let's talk about Brady because point number one, takeaway number one from last night's Super Bowl is that Tom Brady's the GOAT. You And he's the greatest quarterback to ever live. And you cannot argue otherwise. It is not close. It is not a debate. There is no longer a GOAT debate in NFL football. It is over. Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. He wins 75.6% of his playoff games. That's greater than LeBron's free throw percentage. He has 34 playoff wins. The next highest has 16. Tom Brady has more playoff wins, just factoring in conference championships and Super Bowls, than the next highest quarterback does in their entire career. That's Joe Montana with 16. Oh, and by the way, Tom Brady has 16, just like Joe Montana, since he turned 37. This guy is far and away, ages, better than anybody we have ever seen do it and probably will ever see do it again. He is that incredible and that far set beyond. He might not have all of the flashiest numbers. He might not always play the best. But there is something to be said about a guy who goes in year after year, Super Bowl after Super Bowl. A guy who can quite literally pick any team in the NFL. I bet you 20 teams in the NFL, Tom Brady goes to that team. They're at least in the Super Bowl next year. 20 teams. I, I would say that pretty confidently that I could give you 20 teams. So when, when a guy has that amount of power throughout his entire career, the, um, the longevity he has had, winning a Super Bowl at age 43 to now have more rings than any team has ever had, he's the greatest of all time. He's a one, not even once in a generation, once in the world type of talent. Once in the world type of leader and quarterback and cold-blooded killer. The fact that at 43 years old, Tom Brady can be playing in the Super Bowl, go up to one of the best safeties. Tyron Matthews, one of the best safeties in the game, goes up to one of the best safeties in the game, tells him, hey, I'm going to come right after you. Next drive goes, goes right after him and still throws a touchdown in the biggest game against one of the best players and has that level of swag, confidence in himself, leadership of his guys to rally those guys together in the way that he did. There should never be a question in anybody's mind anymore when you hear the word GOAT. At least not when it comes to playing quarterback in the NFL. So it did get me thinking, got a lot of people thinking actually. A lot of people are tweeting about it. Who is the GOAT of these GOATs? You know who they are. It's the names of the people who have dominated their sports, who are these once-in-a-generation talents, these people that 
are in our history books and going to be in our history books for years to come. Who of them has been the most dominant in their sport? A lot of people are saying Tom Brady after what he did last night. I, so, I mean, I've written down who I think my, my goats are for every sport. That would be Tom Brady in the NFL, uh, Michael Jordan in the NBA, Tiger Woods uh, for golf, Serena Williams for tennis, Wayne Gretzky for hockey, Lionel Messi for soccer, and baseball is kind of tough, but I went ahead and said Babe Ruth. You could say Barry Bonds. I wouldn't argue. Um, You could say a number of people. I wouldn't argue with you, but that's my list. So who of those people is the ultimate greatest of all time? A lot of people on Twitter are debating Brady versus Serena Williams or Brady versus Michael versus or uh, LeBron or whoever you have as your basketball goat. That's the conversation being had right now. But there's one name being left out that needs to be talked about, needs to not be disrespected because we have never seen an athlete like Wayne Gretzky. And we never will again. We have never seen an um, a, an athlete that dominant as Wayne Gretzky was. And I don't think people realize Wayne Gretzky did not play hockey that long ago. Wayne Gretzky was in the NHL in 1998-1999. He was playing when Michael was playing basketball. So he is not some old figure. And people don't realize how dominant he was. Your favorite hockey player, your the best hockey player in the NHL right now, doesn't hold a candle to him and never will. So I wrote down my argument for Wayne Gretzky, and we're going to go over it because I don't think there should be a debate as to who is the greatest athlete to ever live, just the most dominant athlete in their sport. So here we go. Some quick stats right off the bat. Wayne Gretzky, 894 goals in his career, 1,963 assists in his career. That's good for 2,857 points. In his NHL career. That's just his NHL career. Next highest. Yaramir Yager. 1921 in points. So I know the stat's been talked about by some before. But if you took away. By the way. Wayne Gretzky. Most goals scored all time. Most goals scored all, all time. And if you took away every goal. That he scored. In his entire career. As the greatest goal scorer of all time. He would still. Have the most points of all time. He has more assists than anybody else does points on top of that 16 time nhl all-star he is a four-time stanley cup champion so he he's won the championships that you need to kind of have that goat status he is a two-time stanley cup mvp he is a 10-time points leader he led the, led the nhl in points 10 different seasons for an entire decade now if you're not a hockey fan that doesn't happen the best hockey players, the guys that are the best in the league and future Hall of Famers, they do it two, maybe three times. He did it ten. He won MVP, the Hart Trophy, nine different times. He won the Most Outstanding Player Award five different times, the Pearson Trophy back in the day. He won the Bing Trophy five different times. The Bing Trophy goes to a player who is incredibly talented and good, also shows good sportsmanship and is a class act. It's similar to the NFL's uh, Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. He won that. He won the Rookie of the Year, which is the Kaplan Trophy. He's done all of it. He has the accolades. Biggest accolade I can tell you for Wayne Gretzky. His number 99 is retired league-wide. It's retired league-wide. A guy who... Like, 
Jackie Robinson's retired league-wide, duh. He's Jackie Robinson. He broke the color barrier in baseball. Wayne Gretzky's just a guy. Michael Jordan's 23 isn't retired anywhere. LeBron's number's not going to be retired anywhere. You don't retire a guy. Like, he is nicknamed the great one. He's nicknamed the great one. His number is retired by every single NHL team because he is so immortal that nobody should ever step on a hockey, step on a rink wearing number 99 in an NHL uniform again. That's how great Wayne Gretzky was. So when you're having this debate, as good as Tom Brady is, as good as Michael Jordan and LeBron James and Serena Williams and Tiger Woods all are, and it's while it's okay to recognize their greatness, Wayne Gretzky is the most dominant athlete of all time, and it, there should not be a question about it. People need to respect him and respect his name a lot more because sports don't appreciate the great one nearly enough. Okay, moving on from that, moving on from that debate and uh, all Super Bowl conversation, the rest of the sports world is still churning. And we had some MLB action to talk about. Finally, a big fish in free agency landing. Kind of the biggest fish in the pond. Trevor Bauer is a Los Angeles Dodger signing a three-year, $102 million contract after his long, drawn-out, troll-filled free agent process concluded. And the theatrics were fully out. Lots of theatrics with it, from Bob Nightingale reporting he had a deal with the Mets to his website and uh, all of his YouTube channels leaking different signed Mets gear and then signed Blue Jays gear and then signed Dodgers gear, and it was back and forth. Where's he going to go? We're getting a decision within the next hour. Finally, Bauer is a Met, and I can't say I blame him. He got four years, $102 million. He is going to get paid $40 million in the 2021 season. He's going to get $45 million the year after that, which, just in case you're keeping track at home, makes him the highest paid Major League Baseball player ever. Ever. Trevor Bauer is officially the highest paid Major League Baseball player ever in terms of a uh, AAV and his one-year salary is concerned. And he's going home as well. He's he's from the L.A. area, went to UCLA, grew up a big Dodger fan and rooted for them all the time. So if you're Trevor Bauer, you're going to your hometown team, you're getting the fattest contract with the most money on short-term value. It's a very uh, player-friendly contract as well. He's got an opt-out after each and every year. So if Trevor Bauer, and this is what I think he'll do, if Trevor Bauer stays with the Dodgers for two years, ends up balling out having Cy Young caliber seasons like he did in 2020, he's simply going to walk away after the 2021, uh, 2022 season, rather, and be a free agent and go cash in and try and get his big, fat, eight-year contract then when the market's a little different and not affected by COVID. So an incredibly player-friendly deal for him on that front where, you know, very low risk. I like it on the Dodgers' perspective, too. The Dodgers have kind of made it clear to everybody they don't really care uh, about the luxury tax. They don't really care how much money they spend. They're just trying to win and win every single year and win so much teams get sick of them winning and fans hate them, but they're just going to win. And that's exactly what they're doing, spending the money to do it. 
And I like the deal on their part, too. It's a lot of money. And maybe Trevor Bauer's not worth $40 million. In fact, he's probably not. Most players, I don't, I'm not sure you could be a player and be worth $40, $45 million in today's game. But when you have the financial flexibility to do so, not the financial flexibility under the luxury tax, but there's no salary cap. So the Dodgers can spend whatever they want. And as long as they don't care, why not spend it? And it's as risk-free as it is because it's so short-term, then it's a good deal. Like, the Dodgers aren't going to be sitting here being like, oh, you know, the Trevor Bauer contract is really bringing us down, not allowing us to spend the kind of money that we want, and it's making us a, a worse team and a worse organization because of it. That's not going to happen because as soon as they start getting to a point where there's a little turnover on their roster and they're ready to spend that money again, that money will be gone. Now, they might re-sign Trevor Bauer. Who knows? If he likes being there, sure. I also think a little bit of Trevor Bauer wants to be uh, kind of out and uh, on the market and in the public eye, and free agency allows any kind of a player to do that. So I wouldn't be surprised if he opted out, even if he does have a good year. You got to reestablish your value, and if he can re-up his value, then uh, I don't see why Trevor Bauer wouldn't be put right back into the spotlight a year or two from now and have to do this whole process over again. But what does this mean for baseball? Now, I tweeted out this stat uh, earlier in the week when Trevor Bauer finally signed. So if you don't follow me on Twitter, go follow me on Twitter. It's at Sam underscore Phelan. I'm kind of pretty active on there, tweeting all kinds of crazy stuff. And a lot of stuff that gets uh, featured on the show as well, I'll tweet there. So you can have a little heads up as to what's to come. But I tweeted this out. Trevor Bauer in 2021 will get paid $40 million. The Cleveland Indians, Trevor Bauer's former team that just traded Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco, and oh, by the way, was second place in the AL Central, and a contender to win it all last year. They had the Cy Young last year. They're a good team, Cleveland is. Cleveland Indians, 2021 payroll, $36.5 million. Baltimore Orioles, 2021 payroll, $34.2 million. Pittsburgh Pirates, $30 million flat. Three teams in MLB. Three teams in baseball have a lower payroll than the Dodgers are giving Trevor Bauer for one year, and that's at the $40 million evaluation. He's going to get 45. He's getting a raise next year. So he might uh, overtake a few teams in that aspect as well. So I also pinned this to the tweet, but I said, MLB needs a salary floor. It's something the NHL has. It's something the NBA has, and it is a competitive measure. Uh, that's put into place in order to ensure teams cannot tank and to make sure that money is still in flow between teams and the players, that teams still have to pay players. No collusion going on, none of that funny business. You're going to have to pay guys. So there's a minimum salary. Because the situation baseball is in right now, without a cap, without a floor, is... The discrepancy between a team like the Dodgers, who do not care if they bust through the luxury tax, whose payroll exceeds $220, $230 million, and it does every year. The difference between that team and these other teams spending $30, $40 million is so vast that you are endangering competitive spirits of the game. It's beginning to get so bad where you are now entering a territory that threatens your ability to have 
a competitive league. You're bordering on NBA territory in the sense that you would create super teams. Because right now, the way baseball sits, the only thing preventing a team from being competitive is an owner's willingness to spend. Now, the New York Mets were not a good team. They had a lot of holes to fix and a lot of things they needed to do before they became legitimate World Series contenders. Now, you can argue whether they're there or not right now, but the entire culture of that organization, the entire direction and competitiveness and fan morale surrounding the New York Mets completely changed when Steve Cohen bought the team. Because you welcomed in an owner that not only is so much richer than the next richest owner in baseball, but has said publicly that the budget's going to go to the players. We're going to spend money on the team. We're going to spend money on the ballpark. I don't care what it costs. I'm a fan. I'm a fan, and I want the Mets to win. And the difference in sports right now is that. It's that some teams are sitting there willing to spend whatever it takes to compete, specifically in baseball. Some teams are willing to spend whatever it takes to compete while others kind of sit on their hands and think to themselves, yeah, you know what? I'll uh, I'll take the increase in revenue. I'll uh, I'll take the profit margins instead of fielding a competitive team. Because the profit margins are going to be there. The TV deal is going to be the same this year. The stadium deal is going to be the same this year. Fans, despite what you'd like to think, they're still going to go to the games a decent amount and buy concessions and have the full ballpark experience for their favorite team, whether uh, they really like the product or not. But money talks to these guys. And so putting a salary floor in place now forces teams to to be more competitive. That money has to go somewhere. So it either uh, would require teams to start spending decent money on a bunch of little players and trying to field a relatively competitive team with the money that you have to spend, or maybe you have a bunch of guys on rookie deals and it forces you to go out and get a big, big-time contract. You start seeing teams who are not typically in the mix for these superstar free agents being able to hang with these big dogs. No more... The top-tier free agents only go to the Yankees, the Phillies, the Dodgers, these top teams that are the, the ones willing to spend money. It's not the top markets anymore. If you have the salary floor in place, you'd have, oh, guess what? Bryce Harper's a free agent. Oh, guess what? This guy's a free agent. So-and-so's a free agent. You'd have every team in baseball trying to make an offer on them because why not? You have to spend the money. And sure, some teams would be sitting at the floor, but I think it would at least help your overall parity and a sense of competition around the league. The other option is simply doing a reverse lottery, which is something that's been kicked around for quite some time. I think it's a brilliant idea. You take, for those of you that don't know what that is, you you essentially would take the, the lottery process that's done in the NBA, uh, which baseball doesn't have, by the way. Baseball doesn't run a lottery process for the draft. They do reverse uh, draft order in order of your record. So uh, typical stuff, worst record in baseball gets the first overall pick, um, and so on and so on. But you would implement a lottery-style draft process in which not the worst team in baseball would get the number one pick. It would be the best team in baseball that failed to make the playoffs. So you are the... You win 95 games, you get third place in your division, you just barely miss out on the second wild card, you get the first overall pick in baseball. You can do it that way, or you can do a lottery where they have the best odds to get the first pick, or you can just give it to them. That then also incentivizes teams. You can do whatever you want financially, 
but you're always going to be sitting at the bottom of the barrel if you are uh, trying to tank and if you're not spending money. And that that's how you really decentivize taking uh, tanking. You give teams every reason not to tank because the only way to get better is to try and be more and more competitive. The harder you try, the better your franchise will do. You either make the playoffs or you come damn close and you start uh, you start getting top picks in the draft. That would bring down win totals for those high-end teams. That would increase uh, revenue and mo- uh, money being spent by the low-market teams who are trying to stay relatively competitive and keep their fans somewhat interested and I think it would increase fandom and uh, the way fans watch, too. Interesting process when, you know, you can root for your team to win all the time. One of my least favorite things in sports is the tendency of fans to quite literally root for their team to lose in order to ensure future success. I don't believe that's how fandom works. I will watch my team every single day, no matter how many games we've lost, and I will root for them to win. I might make an exception if I was like a Jets fan this year because uh, winning those games was incredibly pointless and you lost Trevor Lawrence in doing so. But I don't understand sitting there and, and thinking to myself, you know what, I hope they lose this game. I hope we don't make the playoffs. I hope we do poorly because I want to have future success. In this this format, wins are wins. Wins are always good. It's either an improved draft pick or an improved spot in the standings. And spending money is how you get there. Because people would ask, oh, well, then what happens to the teams that are bottom of the barrel? They can just never get better. Yeah, there is a way to get better. You spend the money necessary to get better. And the culture of your team will change. The spirit of your team will change. The results of your team will change. And your fan base will be a whole lot happier. And less players like Trevor Bauer are going to get these fat contracts going to teams like the Los Angeles Dodgers. My only other thought, actually, I forgot to bring this up earlier, on the Trevor Bauer Dodgers contract is one of the things Trevor Bauer listed as being so important to him when looking for his new home via free agency was his idea of wanting to pitch every fourth day. It was kind of an interesting concept that it caught a lot of fans' attention, uh, but Trevor seemed to believe that with his practices that he had in place, the way he took care of his body, um, and of course all the stuff that he does to control and uh, monitor his recovery, he felt as if he would be more efficient and more effective on a baseball field when pitching every fourth day. And my one reaction that I didn't really think of right away, but now that I sit here and think about it, I don't see him doing this with the Dodgers at all. The Dodgers have a loaded, loaded, loaded pitching staff. They have seven guys that you could argue should be in a, in a starting rotation with now Bauer, with Kershaw, with Walker Bueller, David Price. They have Julio Urias, Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin. It is a deep, deep pitching staff. And with guys getting booted out, I don't see Trevor Bauer pitching every fourth day. Maybe in the playoffs, we've seen teams kind of do that in the playoffs. So I do think that's a possibility. But I did think it was interesting that something that seemed very important to him. I mean, I know he released a video, but he was talking about how important it was to him to at least have an open discussion about it. And I trust that Dave Roberts will, but I don't see Trevor Bauer ever starting for the Dodgers, at least not in the near future. 
every every four days. That's not something that I see doing. Maybe if he went to a team with a little bit of an empty uh, rotation on the back end, I could see them maybe squeezing it, skipping the fifth starter because you don't really need him. But with the amount of young arms that the Dodgers have, I just don't see it happening. So another thing to keep an eye on and something I thought interesting. Uh, but yeah, that's my last thought on the Bauer trade. Okay, um, NBA talk, an NBA trade to talk about here. Shams Charania reported this morning that Derek Rose was on the move being traded from the Detroit Pistons to the New York Knicks. He's reuniting with his former coach with the Bulls, his former Timberwolves coach, his former uh, Knicks coach even, I believe, Tom Thibodeau, who Derek has frequently described as the only coach who has loved him regardless. So... Uh, the trade was for Dennis Smith Jr., a couple picks involved as well, uh, but I actually really like this trade for the Knicks. I'm really happy about this. Um, I'm happy for Derrick Rose. I like it when he's happy. As a Chicago guy myself and a Bulls fan, Derrick has a very special place in my heart. So very happy that Derrick's happy. Very happy, too, that he has a chance to play competitive basketball again. The Detroit Pistons are a dumpster fire. They're probably going to end up with the number one pick. I think they need to get Blake Griffin out of there. Free Blake Griffin. He deserves a lot better than uh, than the crap that's going on in Detroit right now. Um, so they can fully tank. But good for Derrick Rose getting out of there. The Knicks, while uh, they haven't been hot as of late, they are sitting in the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. And with Emmanuel Quickly over there and some of these other younger names, R.J. Barrett's having another good year, and his Cantor's pretty consistent. They uh, they have a legit chance to do some stuff right now and, and make a run on the playoffs. So Derrick Rose being able to play meaningful basketball is going to be a fun thing to watch. And him being happy, him being reuni- reunited with a coach who knows him, who respects him, and who wants to use him in the right ways is also very cool to see. So... Uh, yeah, that's all I got on that. Just a quick update and wanted to talk about that because anytime Derrick Rose is on the move or there's major Derrick Rose news, it is a, a worthwhile conversation for myself. Okay, so gambling. Gambling guarantees. Uh, I gave you my picks last week. I gave you five picks. I did pretty well. So if you were uh, going with my picks and my, and my my confidence levels, then you probably did pretty well too. I took the Bucks money line in the Super Bowl uh, as the underdogs. We all know how that went. That was a big hit for me. Very very happy and proud of that one. Um, I also took the Missouri Tigers to beat Alabama in SEC action for basketball. Um, and they did just that. So I took the Mizzou money line, and I also hit on Baylor spread minus six and a half against Texas earlier last week, and uh, they won by about 15, 14, 15, I want to say. So Baylor is a heck of a team, and it, it can be a little hard to judge them playing in the Big 12. You know, there's some good teams out there, but um, I mean, consensus is Big Ten's the best, best, best conference for basketball right now. I don't think there's any debate about that. Um, the SEC's having a pretty good year. The Big 12 is usually always pretty competitive, but Baylor has been very, very dominant in their wins. They've got some very good Quadrant 1 victories, a lot of lanky defenders. I think right now I probably have them as my early favorite to win the whole thing in college basketball. Just watching them on a nightly basis, the way that they are able to defend the perimeter the way that all five guys on the floor are able to defend both sides of the basketball, kind of slide anywhere, guard anyone at any time. It's just such a matchup nightmare 
for essentially any team. It's so hard to have five, like to match up when the five guys on the floor are all probably going to outsize you at every position and are all probably better shooters in that position. Uh, they shoot the ball very well, and they've created a culture in which defense is their priority number one. They absolutely clamp opponents. So when I say like, I can't believe I can't believe they're number two. First of all, like I cannot believe they're number two. Gonzaga has not had the number of impressive wins that Baylor has had, and Baylor is winning games by a substantial, substantial margin. I mean, taking a look at their schedule this year. Out of conference schedule. They beat Washington, a decent power five school, by 34. They beat Illinois, currently ranked number six, by 13. They beat Kansas State, a, a conference opponent, by 31. Iowa State by 10. Oklahoma, currently ranked 12th, beat them by 15. Beat TCU by 20. Blew out Texas Tech by 10. T T uh, Texas Tech, currently ranked number seven in the country. Oklahoma State's ranked. They beat them by 15. They beat Kansas State again by like 50 the second time they played them. They just upset Auburn, beat number 13 Texas by 14. They have spanked just about everybody on their schedule. They're undefeated, absolutely rolling. And I'm not sure I've seen a team in the country who I think matchups, matches up favorably against Baylor. I just don't. They have the talent. They have an incredible coach. Scott Drew is an incredible coach. He was back at Valparaiso back in the day, leading them to a uh, regular season conference championship in the Mid-Continental Conference. With Baylor, he's been a, what, I don't know, eight, nine-time NCAA tournament coach right now. He's a great coach. He's got these guys playing hard with heart. A lot of people say defense comes down to just like your heart and your desire to do it and I have to say I agree. You see so many skilled athletic basketball players who aren't great defenders, and then you see some that have the body that are great defenders, and you see them have the will. A lot of that comes down to coaching, and I think Scott Drew has done an incredible job of getting every single guy on the floor and every single dude on his roster to buy into the Baylor Bear culture of clamping up, sick'em bears, trying to suffocate opposing offenses until defense turns into offense and that's what they've done so good job by Baylor I had Baylor winning that game I'm not surprised they won that game that was one of the picks I felt best about um, and then I also lost two picks uh, Iowa I took Iowa money line to beat Ohio State on Wednesday and Iowa dropped another one in the Big Ten but Ohio State has really come on Ohio State had a couple bad losses to Purdue they lost two games to Purdue um, but other than that, all Quadrant 1 losses, so very competitive games. They also beat an Illinois team. Now they beat an Iowa. So they have a good big matchup coming up against Michigan soon that will potentially determine the Big Ten Conference champion. Uh, Illinois also in that conversation right now. They picked up a couple big wins this week. So all three of those teams actually ranked in the top six in the new AP poll, Illinois at number six, Ohio State at number four, and Michigan at number three. Of course, Michigan dealing with the COVID shutdowns to their program that canceled a big Illinois-Michigan game that would have taken place this week that would have swung things in the Big Ten pretty substantially. But yeah, Iowa continues to scuffle, so we'll see where they end up when all things are said and done. Luca Garza has not been playing his best basketball whatsoever. Um, and an Iowa team that has relied so much on the three-point shot and relied so much on their one big man, 
uh, when those things kind of haven't been there on, and they've had off nights, they've, they've suffered and they've lost games. So they, they have some adjustments to make. And then the last one was the Gatorade. I bet on red and orange Gatorade. I couldn't decide between the two. Turns out it was blue, which like in hindsight makes sense because like who really wants to drink orange Gatorade? Blue is like far and away the best, the best color. I'm, I'm in for blue Gatorade all the time. So yeah, I was, that was kind of stupid because duh, I don't know. Like, of course they're drinking blue Gatorade, but I don't know. I, I bet the Gatorade every year I had heard it was like red made a little too much sense. Both teams were wearing red. And then I was like, I heard someone say it was probably going to be orange. So I bet on that too. So that's a stupid bet. Don't do that. I also lost money on the coin toss. I live bet that and tried. I thought tails never failed and it did. So yeah, maybe just like don't live bet stupid things. That feels like a good idea or like stupid pointless stuff. Do stuff that you can actually calculate. I mean, you can't really calculate sports at all or gambling at all, but I don't know. just feels a little worse when you lose something and you're like, ah, yeah, probably wasn't a good idea. So this week's picks. This week's picks and my gambling guarantees. I tried not to go too crazy this week. I only have three for you that I feel uh, super comfortable in. It's a little bit more difficult now without football and with the Super Bowl being over. These are going to be pretty heavy college basketball. I don't love betting the NHL or the NBA. Uh, but I actually did one of each this week. So uh, first one, I'm going to take the Loyola Chicago Ramblers money line. Big matchup between Loyola and Drake, the Drake Bulldogs. So Drake it was 17-0, 18-0, something like that. Uh, they were ranked and dominating the MVC, completely taking over. They suffered their first loss to Valparaiso, who's a pretty competitive program too. They like to knock off teams all the time. And... Loyola continues to win. So a Loyola team that has two or three losses, but all of their losses are against very, very good programs, and they're on a big, big long-time winning streak right now, also dominating the MVC, uh, is now ranked and in the 22nd position in the AP polls. But those two teams are matching up for the first time uh, this week, and I'm going to take Loyola. I, I love what Loyola's done. Talk about another mid-major that has established a culture and is probably going to be moving up in terms of their conference play pretty soon. I wouldn't be surprised to see Loyola switching conferences and uh, doing kind of a butler move where now that you've established yourself as a powerhouse basketball school with a Final Four appearance, uh, a ranked team right now and a potential at-large bid coming up in the NCAA tournament, you could definitely move up. But I like Loyola in this game. I think Drake didn't look hot against Valparaiso. Even the first game they won against Valparaiso, they needed to hit some deep threes late in the game to pull that one out. And Valpo just did not execute on the front end of their one and ones uh, So I haven't loved Drake's kind of scuffling play. And I think Loyola's riding the high. So big thing when you play inner interconference games is that uh that high of kind of being able to ride momentum and i i think loyola has the advantage in that way so loyola loyola money line in that game taking that this week i'm also going to take the charlotte hornets money line against the memphis grizzlies now memphis is a much better team on paper they have a much better record they have john morant but charlotte is playing very very good basketball a lot of people were giving them hate for the Gordon Hayward contract, and while it was still probably an overpay, Gordon Hayward has been balling for them. LaMelo Ball, 
who didn't really see any playing time and didn't score in his first career NBA game is really fine, like coming into his own. He's become a heck of a player for them who can do it all. So with Rozier, with LaMelo Ball, with Hayward kind of being able to drive to the basket, they spread the floor really, really well. I love the way that they space out. Um, and yeah, I mean, they've been playing good basketball recently as well. So I'm kind of riding old Mo, the old word momentum. And I'm going to take the Hornets money line over Memphis as well. And uh, hopefully they'll make a push. Actually, they might already be in the playoffs. I think the Hornets are the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference right now. Of course, the Eastern Conference is weak. So, yeah. But mark that game down. I'm pretty confident in that one. I like that a lot. And then I tried to make an NHL bet, but um, a lot of the NHL games were very favored one way or another. So I tried to switch things up. And I'm taking the over in goals scored at five and a half for the Vegas Golden Knights at Anaheim Ducks. Vegas is a team that has kind of been blowing opponents out recently. They've scored five, six, seven goals in games. Their offense is explosive. They have a pretty good goaltender. They're one of the best teams in all of hockey. But Anaheim, Anaheim's not terrible. They're competitive, but Anaheim just struggles. They have bad defensemen. They struggle on the defensive end of the ice. So they're a team that can score and fill it up, but you know that they're going to give up a lot. So I feel confident that five and a half is going to hit because I think Vegas could score five and a half themselves. But realistically, uh, I expect a 5-2 or a 4-2, 4-3, 5-2 type of hockey game. So over five and a half goals scored in Vegas, Golden Knights, and Anaheim Ducks this week as well. So those are my picks. I always, I think I'm always going to try and promise a majority so I'll try and do an, an odd number, like three or five, maybe seven if I'm really feeling wild on a day, picks per week. And yeah, I'm just kind of going to pr- promise getting more than half right, not including pushes. But yeah, three, so three right, two wrong last week. We're looking for two of those to hit. I think probably all three of them are going to hit because I'm a genius. So uh, definitely listen to me and put all the money you have on those games because what could go wrong, you know? I, oh, by the way, also, uh, if you guys want to congratulate me, I'd appreciate it. Uh, kind of won my fantasy league, and not like a regular fantasy league. I did a playoff fantasy league. If you've never done it, highly recommend it. Um, it was a playoff fantasy league where everybody had a lineup. So you had a, a typically a typical formed fantasy lineup. You know, quarterback, two running backs, two receivers, flex, tight end, defense, kicker, yada yada. We had fourteen teams playing representing the 14 NFL playoff teams and we did a draft so you were drafting a uh, one quarterback one like running back right and you're taking players who are active in the playoffs we did this before the wild card week and the rule was since there's no bench there's no nothing no IR as soon as a player is done he's done that slot's dead and you're not earning points anymore from that slot so it was fun to try and uh, balance out you know a player who had a bye in the first week didn't catch any points in the first week versus another guy who might lose in the first round only plays one game for you. So balancing a player's skill with a player's team was a good matchup. How early do you take a quarterback versus all that? Um, and I ended up winning the league. So yeah, congratulations are in order for me. I think only like one or two dudes in my league have done it. Have congratulated me so far because their butt hurt, but uh, I got paid. So that's kind of what matters. 
I had Ronald Jones and Gronk going in the Super Bowl. I thought I was done for, and then Gronk decided he was like saving all of his points that I took him for for just the Super Bowl, and his two touchdowns put me over the top there. So that was pretty sick. Um, I'm kind of riding that high right now and feeling like I know everything. So hopefully these picks hit and I can just keep that going. If not, it'll be like a little humility lesson for me. But yeah, definitely try those leagues out if you haven't yet, whether it be for... NBA or MLB or whatever fantasy sports you like. I think football is the most fun fantasy to play for sure because it's the most user-friendly and like trackable, I'd say. But definitely do that. That was a, that was a good time, and I, I look forward to competing in those in the future as well. All right, uh, that's our show for today, uh, for this week rather. Next week, I'm going to try and get some of your questions on air as well. So... Um, if you're not already, I mentioned my personal Twitter handle handle earlier, but also go follow the show on Twitter. It's at AFReviewPod on Twitter. Um, I'm going to try and get some listener questions on there, answer stuff, settle debates. I kind of want to uh, introduce a new segment where I settle Twitter debates and settle things that people are arguing about in my mentions on Twitter. So please go tweet me, whatever it is, and I'll hope to try and get it on the show next week. But but once again, appreciate you guys listening in. Uh, keep looking out for all of this stuff and for my tweets and sports news. It's all coming up after further review. Later, guys.